Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show... Our guest, Michelle Van Loon, speaks frankly about battling shame and regret. We discuss her recent book, If Only, Letting Go of Regret. Stay tuned. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Michelle Van Loon, author of If Only, Letting Go of Regret, published in 2014 by Beacon Hill Press. In the 1980s, Ms. Van Loon was a writer for a children's radio show produced at Chicago's NPR station. She currently works as a communications consultant for faith-based nonprofits. She's a regular contributor to Christianity Today's female-focused blog, Hermeneutics, as well as writing regularly for Pathios.com. Michelle Van Loon, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I've asked you if you could start us off by reading a a short passage from your book. My pleasure. This is from If Only. Few of us walk through life without accumulating regret. At some point, our past choices collide with the reality that there is no do-over button in life. Those two little words, if only, shackle us to a life that falls short of the freedom and joy promised us by Jesus. Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein, once observed that regret causes us to become cannibals of our own hearts. Unresolved regret is a leech that steals from our present in order to feed the pain of our past, hindering our future in the process. And that's our guest, Michelle Van Loon, reading from her book, If Only, Letting Go of Regret. And so let's begin by getting a definition of what you mean when you use this term regret. What precisely are we discussing here? Well, we use two words kind of interchangeably. We use regret and remorse, and both of them kind of bleed into one another. But for the sake of our conversation and the way that I kind of defined them in the book, regret is our awareness of the consequences of an event or an action. Remorse reflects our sense of moral guilt at the real or perceived failure that followed from that choice. So regret is, why did I do that? And remorse is the sorrow that follows from the choice itself rather than the distress over the consequences of the choice. So remorse has a more internal kind of moral compass tone to it or nature to it than regret, which is the thing that just chases us through our life and haunts us. 
Well, and I'm, I'm interested in this image that you use of Frankenstein, uh, because in that story, we learn about a creature that's been put together from parts, and the creature has something that's supposed to look like a life, but it's not actually an authentic, proper, full life. And as I as I was reading the book, I thought about that image. Mm-hmm. And uh, is the risk of living with regret the risk that we live a false life, a kind of Frankenstein life? We do. I think regret divides us as as we learn to make accommodations. We go through life, especially that first half of life, and we just zoom from decision to choice. We're making, we're building, we're making decisions. There isn't always time to reflect on those choices as we are choosing careers and choosing relationships and making educational choices. And the kind of the way that it accumulates is that at some point, many of us hit a wall. Um, We call it midlife. And there's been a number of researchers that have even kind of backed it up to a quarter life crisis, where you're dealing with the consequences of your choices, all the things that you could have, would have, should have done instead of where you are, or where you've ended up, or where you're going, and um, that that regret divides us. It, in order to function, most of us learn to either shove it aside, put it in a compartment, um, fight it, um, overcompensate for it. We've got all kinds of coping mechanisms for those regrets, so that we don't have to actually face them down. If you're just joining us, our guest is Michelle Van Loon, and we're talking about her recent book, If Only, Letting Go of Regret. This is Things Not Seen. You write very personally in, in the book about about your own experience with regret, and I I, I appreciate that both because it, it personalizes the book, but it also sort of invites the reader to begin to examine their own experiences and their own way of, of looking at their lives and doing the compartmentalization that you've talked about. When you were writing the book, was that a difficult choice to make to sort of put yourself on the page, or was that something that you intended to do from the beginning? Well, like all writers who go into personal stories, I could start with the idea that I will go this far and no further, but the material demanded a little more digging around than I think that I had initially planned, but in order to be able to be true to the topic, true to what my research had shown me, true to what my study, my my time in the Bible had shown me, I didn't really have a choice but to open up a spleen occasionally. But not mine only. There's lots of other stories because at my heart, I'm, I'm very drawn to story like we all are. And so... Um, those those stories of regret that once I started looking around, it seemed like they were all around me, perhaps because I'm middle-aged myself. A lot of my peers are middle-aged. I was hearing regret stories the minute I would start to ask somebody, you know, is this something you're struggling with? Is this something you're thinking about? People would open up their spleen a little bit to me, too. Now, you mentioned a moment ago uh, 
the, the Bible, and I'm wondering if you would be comfortable uh, speaking to our listeners a little bit about your own religious background and, and sort of how that has factored into your reflection on this subject of regret. Absolutely. Um, um, both of my parents are Jewish, or were Jewish. They're both deceased now. And um, when I was in high school, right kind of at the tail end of the Jesus movement of the 70s, I came to faith in Jesus as my Messiah, which caused no end of chaos, confusion, and all kinds of disruption in my relationship with my family, as you can imagine. Um, Do I have regret about that? No, um, because where I was going in my life was a path that was filled with all kinds of regret. Um, I was that kid that was heading toward suicide and doing a lot of drugs and just lots and lots of unhappy um, behavior going on. And so God pulled me back from the brink there. And I think my parents hoped that it would be a fad um, and that was over 40 years ago. So the blue eyeshadow, the hula hoops, the platform shoes, the bell bottoms, those were fads. But my faith has maintained and sustained. Um, I married in my early 20s. And um, my husband and I got involved in church life. And he eventually went to seminary. I'm currently enrolled in seminary part-time as well. And um, through beginning, actually, with my um, early attempts at really, really bad script writing for the children's show that was produced at WBEZ, I eventually learned to write and um, got a little bit better and a little bit better. Lots of rejections shaped that and um, brought me to where I am right now in my life. And well, thank you for letting us know a little bit about where you came from. I I didn't realize that you had been raised in a Jewish household. And first of all, I'm sorry for the loss of your parents. Mm -hmm. Um, When you are raising your own children, I believe you have you have three Mm -hmm. grown children. Were they exposed at all to the Judaism of your of your childhood? Did they understand sort of your journey of faith or were they were they just raised purely in in a Christian context? We felt, my husband and I felt, that it was really important for them to understand that that was an important core part of their identity. And so even in the church, we always kind of marked time through the Jewish calendar, um, not always consistently, not always neat and pretty, because a lot of times we were um, the only Jewish people that we knew that were following Jesus that were trying to put all these pieces together. Um, my my kids were great peacemakers in my relationship with my parents, and um, for that I am very grateful. And so all three of my kids have that understanding that that's their Jewish identity. My husband's mom is also Jewish, so there were two of us that were working in concert to try to help bring that to them as well, bring that to our children. So, If you're just joining us, we're speaking today with Michelle Van Loon. She's the author of If Only, Letting Go of Regret, published this year by Beacon Hill Press. 
You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back in a moment. Hey folks, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you might have figured out that I'm a bit of an odd mix. I'm lefty and progressive in my politics, and I'm conservative and traditional in my theology. I'm a full gospel, Acts 4 and 5 kind of guy. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a new degree program being offered by my friends at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. It's their new Master of Arts in Public Ministry. Hey, I'm in touch with listeners, and I know a lot of you are serving your communities in nonprofits and civic organizations. Some of you are even on the front lines as activists and organizers. You're trying to make the world a better place. The folks at Garrett want to make this world a better place, too, and they know the gospel of Jesus Christ is central to that effort. If you've been wanting to integrate your faith with your work, you'll want to check out their new Master of Arts in Public Ministry. The entire city of Chicago will be your classroom. You'll graduate with a stronger network and a better understanding of how Jesus Christ is speaking to the world of today. Get excited about this. This could be your next step. Go to garrett.edu slash MAPM, the initials of Master of Arts in Public Ministry. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T dot E-D-U slash M-A-P-M. Tell Katie and Jill I sent you. They're good people, and they'll be glad to tell you more about the new Master of Arts in Public Ministry from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. Once again, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T dot E-D-U slash M-A-P-M. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Michelle Van Loon about her recent book, If Only, Letting Go of Regret, published in 2014 by Beacon Hill Press. Well, you spoke a little bit about the choice as an author to put yourself into the book, but I'm, I'm curious also, when you began to write this book, who did you imagine that the audience was going to be? Who did you, who did you envision on the other side of that page? Who were you writing for? I think I was writing for the same people that I had been talking to as so many of my friends were hitting empty nest years and sometimes marriages were coming to an end, sometimes, especially for women, um, without the primary identity of parenting as the kids were gone, um, there was a lot of space in many of my friends' lives for asking those existential, who am I, how did I get here, where am I going, kinds of crises. That wall um, was kind of, I faced it in my own life, and I was hearing it again and again and again. And as I began to see that for many of us, regret was kind of the welcome mat and portal into midlife issues and midlife resolution, I began to search around. I write um, for a couple of different places on midlife issues from time to time. So I was already kind of keyed into that. But then to be able to focus it down and think, 
who's talking about this and what does it look like spiritually? Sometimes I think in the church, we tend to kind of zoom past regret. We're supposed to focus on confession and then walk in faith. And so what to do with those old regrets, particularly if you've walked along in in faith in the church for a long time, there's not always a space to be able to process them if they're long standing. And so I thought, what would help me? What would help my friends? What would help other people that have hit some kind of wall in their life to move past that wall and be able to put those pieces back together. So what I hear you saying is that the the sort of core audience that you envisioned were people that were moving through a, a midlife crisis mm-hmm. and 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 hitting hitting that wall that you've mentioned several times. What does that wall feel like? I mean, I'm sure that every listener has their own sense of that, but I wonder if you could characterize what that wall feels like. That is a great question. I I think what I was hearing from many of my friends, and not just people in my age group, but I am involved in mentoring several younger women in their late 20s and early 30s. And that quarter-life crisis kind of mirrors and echoes some of the same things that the midlife crisis does for us, that um, who am I, what am I doing, and The tricky part about those questions is that sometimes we don't really have the vocabulary to know how to ask them fully. And so those questions haunt us at night. They wake us up in the middle of the night. And there we sit in the darkness trying to make sense of the depression that we might feel or the anxiety that causes us to jump into a bunch of other activities to try to make that who am I and where am I going um, set of questions dissipate a little. Well, earlier in the conversation, you drew a distinction between regret and remorse. Mm-hmm. But also in the book, you you talk about the difference between regret and shame. And I'm wondering if you'd speak a little bit about kind of how you see those two concepts interrelating, but also what the differences are there. Well, shame could be its own set of encyclopedias, not just a book. Um, And there's lots and lots of of great writing and great material on that. Regret definitely can cause us to hide. Shame causes us to hide. Regret and the sense that we have really woofed it somewhere and gotten off track um, particularly if we don't want to reveal that part of ourselves to the world, we will hide it. And shame can look a lot like great religious performance. It can look like the addiction that is often familiar um, to many of us that if you walk through addiction and recovery, you're dealing with shame issues and resolving some of those shame issues. Um, but regret is that voice of accusation. Shame is the place that we hide so that we don't have to hear that, or we, or at least we think we don't have to hear it. It's there. It's pl- the tape is playing, maybe very quietly, 
in the racket of all the other things that we do to hide. But So am I hearing you correctly that regret is, is a voice that comes from inside ourselves and shame is more the fear of the voices of others? Yes, definitely. Okay. Definitely. And so I can see how those two things would be related, but I also see why the distinction is important because when we're talking about regret, that's that more existential, I'm not where I should be. Mm-hmm. But there's no one else telling you where you necessarily should be. It's it's the internal voice. It's that internal voice that, and sometimes particularly because unprocessed and unresolved regret just kind of keeps us in a place where we're never quite finishing that sentence. We just know it's not right. But Shame silences us from being able to finish asking the question, well, how, how do I fix this and where am I supposed to go and how do I live with the consequences of my choices? There's lots of doors that are closed. Most of us know that we cannot go back. We can't, there's no do-over. So how do you live with the fact that there's no do-over? Every once in a while we get a little a little shot of grace and a little glimpse that there's a full circle kind of nice moment, but we're not the same 18-year-old that chose to drop out of college or the same 25-year-old that married somebody that was abusive or that we made a a poor choice in business. You know, we don't get those do-overs. Is it that regret is visible and shame is invisible, or is that too simple a distinction? Are, is, are there invisible and visible aspects to both of them? I think there's invisible and visible aspects to both of them. And it's hard to compartmentalize and say, well, this is where regret ends and this is where shame begins. This is where remorse stops and regret begins. They, in the emotional and spiritual realm, they all kind of chatter and they form quite a Greek chorus. So really good harmony. Mm. So, If you're just joining us, our guest today is Michelle Van Loon, and we're talking about her recent book, If Only, Letting Go of Regret. This is Things Not Seen. Well, near the end of the book, you make a very strong statement. You say that regret is a thief that steals your life from you. That, when I first read that statement, uh, that seemed very dramatic. And then as I reflected more on it, it seemed, it seemed to me to actually kind of ground out and, and, and speak a certain form of truth. But I'm wondering, you know, as I wrestled with that, uh, I had a... I had a few minutes to sort of think about it, but I'm wondering kind of when you make a statement that is that strong, that regret mm-hmm. can can literally steal your life from you, I'm wondering for sort of what you meant when you first wrote that, but then also has that changed at all? Do you still do you still want to make that statement as strongly, or, or has the statement even perhaps strengthened for you since you made it? I stand by that statement. Um, I did an interview not long ago, and someone said, well, I don't have any regrets. I'm, I've am i been very pleased with the way my life has gone, and I just I don't have any regrets at all. What a great gift to feel that way. But even if the individual person doesn't have regrets, most everybody else 
in our world at some level is either dealing with regret or avoiding dealing with them, um, you know, kind of embracing the message of culture that, you know, you shouldn't regret, just grab what belongs to you, your choices are your choices, and you should be empowered by those choices. That is not actually, I think, what I'm seeing, what I've read in the research, particularly as people get to the end of their life and um, hospice nurses, um, people that are dealing with elderly and aging issues will say that regret for many people is the the thing that affects health, affects relationships, um, changes the, the the final end stage dying and living process, um, and it can completely steal and haunt in the worst kind of Mary Shelley cannibalization kind of way what goes on in a person's life. Regret can steal your life from you if it's not addressed. You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with our guest Michelle Van Loon, the author of If Only, Letting Go of Regret. You can find out more about the book at our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Michelle Van Loon about her recent book, If Only, Letting Go of Regret, published in 2014 by Beacon Hill Press. Well, and you mentioned a moment ago the the impact of culture, and does our culture, and in particular I want to ask about, let's say, American religious culture or maybe even American Christian culture, does does our culture, does American Christianity, does American religious life put an undue burden on people to pretend that everything's okay and cover it over? In almost every quarter, I think the people would rise up and say, amen and yes. And that certainly complicates the matter for those that are sitting at in the dark at three in the morning trying to figure out who they are and how they got there and where they're going to go next. Um, We like 
happy endings, and we like a nice arc in a conversion story that goes, I once was lost, and now I'm found. And there is no comma or clause or wrestle either in between the once was lost and now I'm found, and there's nothing much that follows the now I'm found. So being found is the beginning of a journey for most people, but we don't often speak about it that way in the church, particularly in terms of dealing with issues like regret. So It's interesting. Um, when you were giving me your answer, it, it brought to mind uh, uh, a series of novels by Frank Peretti, who writes the This Present Darkness series right. and things like that. And what, what always uh, I chuckled about whenever I would read Frank Peretti is that there was always a young character who was kind of a punk in the book, mm-hmm. and he was on the edge, and he was anti-authoritarian, usually a he, mm-hmm. and he had piercings and spiked up hair. And then at some point towards the middle of the book, that particular character finds Jesus, and suddenly the piercings come mm-hmm. out, and the hair becomes normal. Mm-hmm. And so there's a real narrative, I think, that says, you know, once you are found, as you said, mm-hmm. there's really not a story after that other than you live happily ever after. Right. But your experience and the experience that you write about in the book is that that's not always the case. We oversell the happily ever after, I think, in American religious culture, particularly in the evangelical world that I've been a part of for the last 40 years. Um, And that overselling diminishes the language of discipleship, of following Jesus, of picking up a cross, of being able to understand suffering and loss. And that the, that language is a part of, I think, what I, I tried to bring into some of the discussion of some t- of the kinds of regret that we face, because being able to bring language to people that haven't always felt free to be able to use it um, or hear it is was one of my goals. One of the things that I was really curious about as I was reading your book, um, and it's a question that came up again and again, and you just mentioned Jesus and his experiences, and I apologize if this is a, a potentially blasphemous question. Do you think that Jesus felt regret ever in his life? Hmm. I think that Jesus learned in all things, every step of the way, from his diaper-wearing days to, you know, adolescence to learning to work with his dad, um, that he had to learn obedience. And if he was tempted in all the things that we are, because he was fully human, um, then the, the potential was there for regret, although we also see in Scripture that he continued to grow in that understanding of who he was. So I think regret disconnects from God. It disconnects from our humanity. It makes us a little less human than we're meant to be. So my answer is I don't think he felt regret, but I think he dealt with the temptation for it as we all do. 
Well, and a moment ago, you, you mentioned some of the people that you've interacted with who will make the statement that they don't feel any regret. And mm-hmm. you said, what a wonderful gift that is. But I wonder, could you flesh that out for us? What If we were to imagine what a life free of regret would look like, uh, have you ever really met someone who is free of regret? And what 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 would be the markers of that? I think that free of regret is not denial of regret, um, which is what I heard in the question that I was asked a few weeks ago, which was, that doesn't happen to me. I followed all the rules. That was that kind of language came in that context. Uh, A person who's resolved their regrets is in a very different place. It isn't a matter of that they've never had them. It's that they are at peace and there's an expansiveness to them and a, and a grace for themselves that extends to grace with others that um, is less judgy and more, um, more loving. So, You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with our guest Michelle Van Loon, the author of If Only, Letting Go of Regret, you can find out more about the book at our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. In the appendix to your book, you are very careful to spell out some different types of counselors to whom a believer might turn when they're dealing with grief and with regret and with remorse. And you 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 use some technical terms. You talk about nuthetic counselors, and I hope that I'm pronouncing that correctly, and then also as distinguished from Christian counselors and then also distinguished from secular counselors. And I wonder if you might just take a moment for our listeners to draw out these distinctions between these different approaches to the, the practice of counseling. I added the appendix to kind of offer the, the distinctions because particularly in the church, sometimes the language is sloppy. And so we say Christian counselor, but there's a camp that is the new ethic counseling that focuses on just taking Bible verses and giving them to the person and then um, kind of asking them to just apply them in good military bootstrapping oneself up, you know, into, uh, you know, being able to march in formation once again. Um, Those counselors are not um, covered by insurance. They haven't had the same kind of training that um, a person that's been through a counseling program counseling training at a recognized university would be. Um, And particularly in um, very conservative churches, um, sometimes the Christian counseling that people are directed toward if they're stuck or they're struggling in regret, grief, loss, addiction is um, toward that camp. Sorry. Oh. I just wanted to make sure that we caught it in a good yeah. break point. Oh. Oh. <clears throat> I'm doing fine with this. It's just I paper towel. No, 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 no. We're 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 all we're all good. <laughs> okay, good. As long as the lung stays in, we'll be fine. <laughs> um I'll back up. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Sorry. 
I don't think it's contagious. It's just it's the lingering oh, remnants yeah. of, of, of that. The uh, the but I'm I, I apologize. So you had you had just gotten done talking about the the one. Okay. Yeah. Christian counseling um, is just counseling that is done by a person who has a Christian testimony, but the focus is that they've been through training in a recognized university setting and that they're often on people's insurance plan. The focus is counseling. The adjective Christian just describes the person, but even a person who chooses to see a counselor who doesn't uh, maintain the Christian in front of their counseling, they're there to be able to support you in your journey. They're not there to evangelize you to toward a particular position. They're there to help you untangle the tangle that you're in. And so I wanted to be able to offer people a little bit of clarity if they find a, a book for a deeply entrenched problem or a, a tape that is playing constantly in your head that is saying, woulda, coulda, shoulda, if only you had done this or that. Um, sometimes you need a lot more than a book to be able to get that untangled. And so I wanted to be able to offer people some resources if all this book did was just kind of stir some things up. But what I'm hearing you saying is that there's a wide spectrum. And within licensed counseling, uh, there are definitely counselors who are not overtly religious who can hear with sympathy and be effective to uh, believers. And just because a person is, is throwing Bible verses at you doesn't mean that they'll be necessarily an effective counselor. Am I hearing that correctly? Exactly. Exactly. The, the key is to be able to get coached out of where you're stuck. You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with our guest Michelle Van Loon, the author of If Only, Letting Go of Regret. You can find out more about the book at our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. We'll be back in a moment. Hey there, everybody. If you've been following my exploits, you realize that I have a great interest in faith and science issues. And that's why I'm happy to tell you about uh, some new friends that I've made, the Zygon Center for Religion and Science at Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago. Now, why I'm excited about these folks is because every every semester in the fall and the spring, they put on what they call an advanced discussion series or an advanced seminar, and they take some topic that is important in the world of science, and they put it through a lens where they bring both scientists and theologians and New Testament people and people that talk about the various aspects of religion to talk about that subject. And so this fall, they're going to be doing a series on cancer. I know, heavy subject, but um, they're going to look at cancer from all different angles. Some of those angles are going to be scientific, and they're going to bring in cutting-edge theologians and religious thinkers to also talk about it. I'm very excited about it. I hope that if you're in the Chicago area, you feel free to stop by. It's on Monday nights from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago down here in my neighborhood in Hyde Park. That's the Zygon Center for Religion and Science. You really should check them out. They are awesome. Now, to find out more, go online to zygoncenter.org. 
That's zygoncenter.org. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Michelle Van Loon about her recent book, If Only, Letting Go of Regret, published in 2014 by Beacon Hill Press. Just about everything is fair game at some point. Um, Not that everyone who walks into my life suddenly should put on a bulletproof shield and, you know, enter the FBI witness protection program, but um, I hear stories and they need to be told because the personal is universal if it's told correctly. And um, those stories tend to open up conversations for other people. Um, They see themselves somewhere. And I've heard from people who've been reading the book, the book released this summer, and um, people see themselves mirrored somewhere or other along the way um, in one of the chapters in some aspect of the story, and I'm grateful for that. Well, you mention in the book uh, several instances when you've dealt with your own regret and struggled with your own shortcomings. And I was wondering, has working on this book been helpful with those struggles? Did putting the words on paper help your own recoveries from regret? Mm-hmm. Well, writing confessionally certainly has that aspect, but I was actually surprised at how little it had budged me from the work that I'd already done previous to that. I think walking through that process um, in my own life of coming to terms with some of those losses, seeing a counselor at one point, um, being involved in listening prayer with others and um, just some of the intentional and intense spiritual friendships that I'd had where people had the right to speak into my life and ask me those questions, um, that all of those things positioned me to be able to write with some distance and disconnect. Um, So it wasn't quite the, the purge fest that might sound like, and I'm grateful for that. Um, It helps to be able to write from a little bit of perspective rather than being in the process and kind of purging on paper. Although there was, you know, there were definitely some moments of that for sure. And a moment ago, you mentioned that uh, you've gotten some feedback about the book and that people, Mm -hmm. you you mentioned that the people have, have sort of seen themselves mirrored in some of the anecdotes from the book. But I'm wondering if you'd be willing to sort of share some of the other reaction that you've gotten as you've been promoting the book since it uh, was published this past summer. Probably the the um, response that has been the most gratifying is um, hearing from people that they've gotten to a certain point and they've had to stop, um, which, you know, if you write a whole book, you kind of want people to read the whole book um, rather than get stuck somewhere. But for me, it's a marker that they've gotten to a place 
and now they need to deal with whatever it was that kind of surfaced as they were reading. So for me, that was actually very encouraging and gratifying. Um, I've I've gotten um, thank yous, and that's also uh, to the glory of God. I'm grateful for those thank yous, and I'm grateful to hear that people are using the book in groups, Bible study groups or book groups to start some conversations that really need to be held because sometimes just voicing it and finding out you're not the only one is a very powerful thing. It it always is when you hear I'm not the only one. I you know somebody else is struggling with that as well. Are there plans to to do further projects to follow up on this on this trajectory or is this a one off and you'll now move on to other things? Well, my next project is actually completely different. Um, I'll be writing a book about the Jewish feasts and the Christian calendar that'll be released in 2016 that kind of brings together pretty much my whole life in a completely different way. I'm really grateful that I'll have the opportunity to write that book. But I would definitely like to come back to the the themes of grief and loss. There, like I said, there there's a lot out there on grief. There's a lot out there on shame. But I think there's new ways to be able to offer people to to think and talk about these things that can help reconnect them with God, reconnect them with themselves, all those broken pieces of themselves, and with others in their, particularly in the faith community. So. Well, for our listeners out there who might be feeling trapped in their own distress or deep in the well of regret, what advice or words of encouragement would you give to them as they begin their own journey towards recovery? I think particularly in the faith community, I keep using that phrase, but um, we we use words a lot like that God redeems, God forgives, God heals. We hear that language, but it can feel very external to us, particularly if we're divided up inside and protecting with with shame and or overachievement or whatever we're doing, those, those um, places of regret. But those words are reality. They can be your reality. They have been my reality. I'm not all there. I'm not, I don't have it all fixed, and I, I don't have it all together. And I think you would definitely get that reading um, the book. But um, I am grateful that as those things have come to the light before God, I've seen that he's good to be able to touch those broken places with truth and start reconnecting them. And as he does, he he has reconnected me with himself in a in a much more profound and deep way. And that re, that's that's the promise for all of us. That's what redemption looks like. Well, Michelle Van Loon, I've enjoyed very much our conversation. Thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you so much for having me. Our guest today has been Michelle Van Loon. She's the author of If Only, Letting Go of Regret, 
published in 2014 by Beacon Hill Press. In the 1980s, Ms. Van Loon was a writer for a children's radio show produced for Chicago's NPR station. She currently works as a communications consultant for faith-based nonprofits. She's a regular contributor to Christianity Today's female-focused blog, Hermeneutics, as well as writing regularly for Pathios.com. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. Today's show was recorded at WBEZ's Navy Pier Studios overlooking beautiful Lake Michigan. WBEZ is not responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keja. Mary Gaffney engineered the show, and David Dalt did the editing. Our staff includes Travis Abels, David J. Dunn, Natasha Alford, and Alexander Badenoch. You can follow us on Twitter at Not Seen Radio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about upcoming guests. That's facebook.com slash things not seen radio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and hear extra audio from our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.